Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to our Living with Amun. A very special welcome back to some of you who we haven't seen in person in a long time. I actually have some mixed feelings about the fact that we stream the class because I meet people all the time who say, Rabbi, thank you so much for streaming it. I stay in my pajamas. I make my coffee. I feel like I'm part of the class. And on the one hand, it's wonderful that people who geographically don't live here and can't be here in person can tune in. On the other hand, there's nothing that can compare or compete with learning in person. Being together in person, it is, uh, it is the best. So it's great to see some people returning. It's wonderful to be together. And, uh, and thank you. As always, a, a big thank you to our generous series sponsors for the year, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbett, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanzer. This morning, she was also sponsored anonymously as a thank you to uh, BRS for the uh, classes, shiurim, and programs that we uh, provide. So we're very grateful to that anonymous sponsor as well. I want to remind you that our merch... Now, normally merch, people are trying to brand and sell things and make money. We don't make any money off of it, and we're not trying to promote any brand, but we're trying to promote mindfulness and amuna. That's the reason we have it. So right after the shir, if you've not yet purchased your copy of our new notebook, Moda'ani, thank you, Hashem, for a new day. Turn the page. Every page says, turn the page. Every morning, you can wake up, turn the page. You have a new opportunity. You can buy a copy. Someone just bought... 17 of them, so if you want to buy in bulk, we can make you a special price, which is a really a wonderful thing. We also have our caffeinate with Kavana. Every morning you wake up, you have your cup of coffee. Don't just caffeinate, but caffeinate with Kavana and the other things you can purchase them afterwards, and soon you'll be able to purchase them online as well. Oh, this morning. Oh, I don't know why I don't have that. Ma- thank you. Barbara Lewis is a sponsor in memory of Sam Leibowitz, very special member, pillar of our community. Somebody was here every night learning, the Dafyomi, who are really inspiring. His neshama should have an aliyah. Thank you so much for that generosity, that sponsorship as well. I'm so sorry I missed that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Okay, before we dive back into the text and pick up where we last left off, I want to, uh, and some mazel tovs, by the way. Mazel tov to the Luke's mazel tov. Some mazel tovs. We should have only, only simchas. So I want to share with you two emails. I'd love to share with you the Amuna stories. One is authored by our sponsor, by our series sponsor, the Morgans. Jeff Morgan sent this in. It was uh, before Tisha B'Av was Brian Galbett's third year site. So he said, please feel free to share this during the Amuna Shir. And this is what he writes. I can't believe it's been three years since Brian passed away. I think about Brian frequently, and in particular when I have a decision to make, I ask myself, what would Brian do? Brian meant so much to so many people, his family, friends, and patients, Boca community, the global Jewish community. As you know, Brian went to Yale Medical School. This was in part due to his brilliant MCAT score, much higher than mine. I remember Brian comforting me when I didn't get into my top choice for medical school and assured me that Einstein was the right place for me. Brian was later instrumental in my decision to become a cardiac surgeon by connecting me to his uncle David. I remember once visiting Boca and within minutes of catching up with Brian, he started recruiting me to move to Boca, telling me about all the wonderful things, offering to connect me to cardiologists, hospitals. He loved his Boca community so much. Brian, you're missed on a daily basis by so many people. You were a person who emanated Amuna and Avas Chinam, who gave chizik to so many people and who fortunate enough to interact with you. May your incredible, absolute, unique neshama have an aliyah. So big thank you to Jeff Morgan for sharing that, for his sponsorship. And certainly uh, we continue to draw from uh, Brian's Amuna daily. I also want to share an email I mentioned yesterday. Yesterday was the Parsha class? Yesterday in the Parsha year, I mentioned an incident that happened last week in our community. A young boy on his bicycle was riding to school as he does every day, crossing Palmetto Park Road, and uh, a, um, a deranged person, an unhealthy person who was recently released from prison, attacked him. 
pulled him off his bicycle and started to punch him. And a person driving his truck, who didn't recognize this young boy, is not a member of our community, but saw what was happening, pulled over, jumped out of the truck, pulled the man off, and until police came, and this person was so deranged and such an adrenaline rush, the police had to tase him in order to, uh, in order to be able to uh, take him away. So I mentioned that in the Parsha class yesterday because I talked about what a hero this man was, anonymous man. And would we, would we stop our car? Would you stop your car? Would you jump out and get in harm's way to help another person? Hakeem Takimimo, in the context of the Parsha, we were talking about, uh, you know, would you, would you pull over if someone had a flat tire, let alone if someone was beating the other person? Anyway, by the way, fast forward to this morning, somebody who were at the Parsha Shir called the sheriff's office to get the name of the man and contact info so that we could thank him as a community and I'm gonna get in touch with the man. But he also said what a Kiddush Hashem it was, the sheriff couldn't believe that the community wanted to call this man on behalf of the community to thank him for helping this young boy. So hopefully we made a Kiddush Hashem and we'll be able to offer our gratitude. But the mother of the boy sent me the following email. She said the following. She said, I thought I'd share this with you, which you're welcome to use in the Amunashir. My son was punched in the head yesterday, as you know, by a mentally unstable criminal near TTB while riding his bike to school. Guy got out of jail two weeks ago for theft and robbery. First thing I thought was use my Amuna bank account that you taught us in the Amuna class. Hashem has a plan, and we need to have faith in Him. When I heard our bystander pulled his truck up between the crazy guy chasing my son to stop him and told me he saw the entire thing and felt it was his duty to help, I thought Hashem planted this man to assist my son, or my son could have been so hurt. In other words, her take on it is not, God, how could you? Where were you? Why? Which I'm sure are legitimate, reasonable feelings too, but Hashem, wow. If that man driving on that road, one different red light or green light, one moment later he left the house, one and he weren't there exactly at that moment to jump out and help, who knows what could have happened? Who knows? So she's choosing to put on her Amuna glasses and goggles and look at the world and interpret it, not where were you, how could you, why, but wow, God, thank you that the man was driving by at that moment, and it wasn't that he passed a moment earlier, or he was a few minutes behind at that moment. She writes, then I noticed later in the day, my son besides me, besides being in shock from the day and his head hurting a bit, he started to dive in with more passion that day and benched better. No one knows why Hashem does what he does for sure. I think my son feels like Hashem helped him, and this gave him a jolt to work on getting closer to him, which he needed. Thank you for reading this. Great class today. This was last week. She wrote it after last week. So what a, what a beautiful, this is an incredible person, an amazing family, but what a beautiful interpretation or attitude in, in it, number one. And number two, even um, her son, seeing in her son, he's getting closer as a result. It's really a beautiful thing. So those are our stories for today. Keep them flowing. I, I get the privilege of just reading them and you go, ooh and oh, you cry, I cry, but they're not my stories. So... I, I depend on our listeners and uh, those who watch and come to share your Emuna stories with us. Okay, we're on page Kuf Samach Beis. There were handouts. I guess they're all given out. There are a few more if you'd like to follow inside. Biyam Derechecha, Rav Itcha Meyer Morgenstern. Rav Morgenstern. And we are learning about the following. The notion of the cycle of life, Ratz of Ashov, that we uh, have times that we feel closer and more distant. Highs and lows in Avodah Hashem. There are times that we are on fire, that we are well connected, that everything makes sense, that everything feels right. And there are times that we feel far away and where is he and why? And this isn't flowing and this isn't going well. And we have all kinds of names for it. We've seen Ratz of Ashov, Kedem Va'achor, Mochen Degadlus, Mochen Dekatnus. We have all kinds of names for it. And then, so the first thing we did was validate the phenomenon. 
The reality and the bottom line is that we live with this phenomenon. You're not the only one. We all have it. Highs and lows in Avodah Hashem. Highs and lows in marriage and parenting and career and life. Highs and lows in diet and exercise. Highs and lows in learning and davening. We have highs and lows in everything. Life is not linear. We shared Revav Meshur, right? The evidence of the, of the EKG, if it flatlines, you're dead. If it's going up and down, there's highs and lows, that's a sign you're alive. So if it flatlined, if our EKG, spiritual EKG shows we're even Stephen, we're even killed, then it means that you're spiritually dead. If it goes up and down, it means that we are alive. We should be grateful to be alive. Why did Hashem create the world that way we saw? Because we are a nivra, we are the created. And that creates this duality, this tension. On the one hand, we feel we're independent, we're created, we exist, we're someone, we're something. Thanks God, I'm here now, I'm good to go. Move on to the next one, I got this. And that makes us feel far from Him, and distant, and empty, and a void. On the other hand, we realize I'm a creation. I'm only here because He wills it and He wants it. I'm only here because He supports it and enables it. And wow, that makes me feel close to him, makes me feel his presence, makes me feel in conversation with him. So the high and low is not accidental, and the high and low is not only something we only suffer from. The highs and lows in Avodah Hashem is by design. It's the way he created the world. It is a natural result of this reality that we are a nivra, that we are among those who are, those who are created. So we're up to Hanakuda Ha'ikaris. Kuf Samach Beis, page 162, the right-hand column. Hanakuda Ha'ikaris. Now, this is the big question. How do you break out? So when you're on fire and it's all flowing and it's all good and well, when you're feeling it, when it can't get any better, when you're singing and you're dancing and you're davening, it's easy. When it's Bezrus Hashem, Baruch Hashem, when it's all flowing and you see His hand everywhere and everything makes sense and you're so grateful, it's great, life's great. But what happens when it's the opposite? What happens when you're in a tkufa, when you're in a period of your life where you say, it's darkness, where are you? Where are you? talking to you, it doesn't feel like you're listening. It seems like you never answer what I want. I'm going through motions, but they feel empty and void of meaning. Where are you and how do I connect? That's the question. That's the question. Vanakuda is the key, the ikar, the um, central point. How do you get out of it when we're in a small place? First of all, realize Hashem is now interacting with me and placing me and positioning me in a place of katnas. That's okay. It's okay. I don't measure, measure myself. Not only should I not measure myself against others, but I shouldn't measure, measure myself against the best of myself in another time. Maybe last week or last month or last year, maybe last decade, maybe last lifetime in my year in Israel, I was once on fire and my whole life was trying to get back to that place. So what are we going to do? Knock ourselves down? Despair? despondency, give up, beat ourselves up, feel it'll never happen. The first thing is to realize that if this is where I am and this is how I'm feeling, this is where Hashem wants me to be. This is where I'm meant to be. I'm now coming at Him from a place of katnas. I'm coming at Him from this narrow, smaller place and smaller mindset. Meaning, it's not we're either all in or we're all out. Some people live life like that. Extremes. Either all in or all out. Either on fire and telling everyone and isn't it amazing, or I'm all out. We know people like that. I can think of someone specific like that. They were all in. They talked all about, they had no tolerance for somebody who wasn't into davening and learning and a and Hashem everywhere. And they talked about it and they demanded that and they demanded it of their children and they were on fire. And then they didn't feel it. And now they're totally, totally disconnected. Barely holding on to a life of observance 
not engaged in a life of meaning or purpose or pursuit of connecting with Hashem. So life is not all or nothing, not either all in or all out. Even in the moment where we're feeling distant, realize it's not over. I'm not out. This is where I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be in a place of struggle. I'm meant to be low, but I'm going to climb up and out. I'm in a place that there's going to be revelation. I'm in a place where there's a certain sometimes we descend in order to be able to go up. You go down in order to be able to go up. I saw a beautiful mushal in another sefer just this morning about this. When you build a tall building, what's the very first thing that you have to do? If you want the building to be sturdy and last and stand, what's the first thing? Where do you build the foundation? The very first thing you have to do is dig down. And you go down in order to be able to go up. If you want to build a tall building that's going to withstand wind, you want a tall, sturdy building that's going to last, the first thing you do is dig a hole. You go down in that hole and you build a foundation. And now when you're down in that dark, damp hole, when there's no light and you don't see him and you feel, big, tall building, I'm underground. I'm in the negative. I'm in the red. What do you mean, big, tall building? But when you're down there, you realize and you say to yourself, I meant to be down here because it's only down here that I could build the foundation that I could then climb up and out. Only down here in this dark, damp, only down here in this, in this hole can I build a foundation that I could build on it to go up. So sometimes when we feel out of it and we feel distance, sometimes we spoke last week, Elul, Aron, Luchos, Vishivre Luchos. Life is not just about the whole tablets, it's about the broken pieces. It's about the brokenness. The Kutzker famously said, famous because I know it, the Kutzker famously said, there's nothing as whole as a broken, heart. a broken heart. There's nothing as whole as a broken heart. Sometimes when you feel completely whole is when really you're broken. When you feel everything's amazing and hunky-dory and smooth sailing and God's amazing and life's amazing, everything, maybe you're faking it. Maybe you're imitating, maybe you're an imposter. Maybe you're faking it, maybe you're superficial. So you make it look like everything's all together, you got it all together, everything's going so smoothly, ah, you're completely broken inside. And it's the person who leans into their brokenness who's really whole. Person who's going through a tough time. Person who's wondering how they're gonna fight through it or break out of it. How they're going to endure it or persevere through it. It's only when you lean into the brokenness sometimes that you realize, now I'm whole. Because I'm comfortable being broken, because I found him even in the brokenness, because I'm building a foundation in being, while being underground, in that brokenness, in the shivre luchos, that is, that makes me whole. Leaning into the brokenness is what makes me, is what makes me whole, is what makes me whole. So don't deny it. Don't be in denial of it. Lean into it and realize this is where I'm meant to be in this moment. This is how I'm connecting to Hashem at this time. This is my struggle. It's not over, I'm not disconnected. Sometimes Hashem is everywhere. You're walking around and you literally see Him everywhere. His guiding hand everywhere, His love everywhere, His support everywhere, our accountability to Him everywhere. Sometimes we have periods of life of revelation. He's everywhere. And there's other times of He's hidden. He's nowhere. Where is He? I can't find Him. I'm looking and I'm searching, but I can't find Him. But even in those moments of katnas, of smallness, of brokenness, of hiddenness, He's there. Even in those moments that we feel that we're underground, we are building the foundation in, able, in order to be able to come out. And, and we have to realize there are highs and lows, and there's a cycle. When you're in a high, it's almost worse, because you're waiting for when's the other shoe gonna drop where I go into the low. 
How long is this going to last? How long can I maintain this level? Who can climb on the mountain, but who could stay there? So when you're in that high, in that great place, you say to yourself, how long is this going to last? How long is my davening going to be this great davening? How long am I going to have this amunah and feel in this place with him? When you're in a low, in a, in a kind of paradoxical way, it can be almost better because you say, I'm in a low, but you know what? Because life is cycles, I know I'm going to experience a high. I'm about to break out. I'm about to break out with some revelation. I'm about to use this as my springboard to find him. I'm down underground, but I'm building the foundation. I'm about to build a skyscraper of Amuna. I'm about to build a tall, sturdy skyscraper of Amuna that will come out from the ground, sprout and blossom out from this foundation I'm building while I feel I'm in this dark and damp underground hole. I'm in this place. So sometimes it's even better because I know that there's a cycle and I have confidence and I've experienced that cycle in life. I know I'm going to break out. And what about you'll say, but I'm dark and it's damp and it's underground and I don't experience and I don't feel anything. I'm going through motions. I'm just going through motions. I just had this conversation with someone recently who said, Rabbi, I come to shul, I open the sitter, I'm doing the davening. I haven't given up on it, but I, I'm not getting anything out of it. There's nothing there. I'm just turning pages. I'm just saying words. I'm in a place of katnas. We've had periods of davening where we're surrendering and submitting and we're losing ourselves in Him. We're focused on every word. There's meditation, there's breathing, there's connection to our source. It's recharging our battery. And then you have, uh, I'm turning pages, I'm saying words, I'm putting a check on the checklist. We have to remember and understand. Hashem is always with us. He's always right there. And in the moment you don't feel him, this is part of the way he conducts himself, and it's part of his revealing himself. He's revealing himself in hiddenness. You're playing hide and seek. Know that you're in the middle of a game, and you've got to go tag, you're it, go find him. It's a hide and seek. This is a revelation within the hiddenness. Now go find him. Now go find him. Then you realize that smallness or narrowness or distance or being disconnected is not in fact mean it's over, game over, you're out. It's the opposite. He's the one hiding. Sometimes Hashem is right there, you're having a cup of coffee with him. Wow, what a cup of coffee. You ever get together with a friend you haven't seen in a long time? And that cup of coffee that was supposed to be half an hour, it's like three hours later. And you walk away and you give that hug and you're like, this was amazing. We need to do this more often. We caught up and I forgot how amazing it is. And we're so comfortable together and you bring out the best in me and I could trust you and confide in me. And that's amazing. We got to do that more often. So sometimes that's your davening with Hashem. Hashem, give me a hug. Let's hug it out. This was amazing. I forgot how great that could be. I spoke to you. I confided in you. I thanked you. I felt your presence. This was amazing. This was amazing. And other times your friend says, Let's play hide and seek. Your friend doesn't say that because we're adults and we don't do that, but <laughs> stick with me in my hypothetical example. Your friend says, hide and seek. we're playing hide and seek. Go look for me. Look for I just want to have coffee with you and think that's amazing. Your friend says, but I'm hiding right now. I'm playing, I'm playing hard to get. We do play hide and seek in friendship. We just don't do it as a game like children. We do it ridiculously to create drama as adults. We play hide and seek. I always call you, let's see if she'll call me to have coffee. You know, I always reach out to him, let's see if he'll call me. We play hide and seek as adults with each other all the time, only it's not a game, it's, it's damaging and destructive and 
stupid and foolish. But sometimes a relationship is hugging it out, coffee, three hours, this was amazing. And sometimes we're in the middle of a game of hide and seek. And Hashem, we have both relationships with Him as well. But know that when you're in the hide and seek, when the friend's playing hide and seek, what they're saying is, I miss you. I long for you. I want that relationship. They just don't know how to say it. They don't know how to say it. Or maybe they've said it ineffectively in the past. So instead they're hiding. They're hiding. But what they're really saying is, I miss you. And I want to get together with you. And I long to have this relationship with you. So when the Rebona Shalom is hiding from us, it's like that friend. He's not hiding because he doesn't want a relationship. He's hiding because he wants us to seek. He wants us to look. So when we're going through a period of life where it feels like he's hidden, where is he? Why isn't he answering? Why are things happening the way they are? Why does it feel so dark down here? That's him calling out, come look for me. I'm hiding. I'm hiding. It's that kind of a tkufa, that kind of a, of a conversation. Davka mitocha hester, it sounds, again, contradictory or paradoxical. Within the hiddenness, Hashem is revealing, I want you to look for me. When everything's hunky-dory, smooth sailing, going well, it's going well, he's right there, fine. When he's hiding, he's almost more explicitly saying, I want you to look for me. So he's revealing himself through his hiddenness. In darkness, there's a little crack of light, a breakthrough, a little glimmer of light. He says, come, find me. Use the light, find me. The light at the end of the tunnel, that little crack, the light's coming through. Find it. Find me. And then make it open. Instead of it being a sliver or a crack, break it wide open. Let the light in. So it's a whole different paradigm and way that we could look at the dark moments of our life. Instead of looking at it with with sadness or frustration or as an excuse to cop out or to leave, to look at it as, wow, I don't see him and I don't feel him. He really wants me to come search for him. Wow, he's really revealing himself in his hiddenness to me in this moment. It's very different than the way that we've always, we've always thought about it. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'll see you in one second. Hashem is Baruch Tamid Nimtza. He's always there. He could be hidden or revealed, but he's always there. And we are always connected to him. Sometimes he acts in a revealed way, and sometimes it's a more hidden way. And in such a matzav, in such a place in our lives, when Hashem is not revealing, I'm with him even when I don't feel it. So the way out is to lean in. The way out is to lean in. The way out is to realize that he's revealing himself in his hiddenness. So don't stay in the hiddenness. Don't stay with where is he, why is he, why don't I feel anything, why am I going through motions, why is there nothing here? Realize if I feel nothing and there's nothing here and he feels hidden from me right now, that's his invitation and my opportunity to go look for him. This is my invitation and opportunity to go look for him. So what's the way I have? The answer is talk to him. Talk to him. The answer is talk to him. You can find him if you talk to him. I don't know if it was John Gottman or where I read this, a marriage therapist who made the following suggestion. You know, if you have a generally healthy and happy 
and functional and wonderful marriage. But every marriage, like any relationship, has ups and downs. There are frustrations, there are fights, there are tensions, there are differences. It's designed, it's part of the nature of marriage. We don't marry our carbon copy. The whole beauty of marriage is that we marry people who complement us. But we have different backgrounds and upbringings and personalities and genetics and different approaches to things. When we navigate them smoothly, we complement one another, it's wonderful. But by design, there's also going to be friction and differences, different expectations and the like. So sometimes there's a fight. So sometimes there's, again, it's love and hunky-dory and romance and electric and amazing and everything. You can't get enough of spending time together. It's wonderful. And sometimes I don't even know who this person is and I don't even <coughs> recognize them and so angry and frustrated this behavior. It's got to be worked through. So what do you do? You, you, know, you call Rabbi Flug and schedule the get because you had a fight? You had a difference of opinion about how to spend Yontif or where to go on vacation or something with the children or something about the credit card bill. So that's it. That's it. You give the get because well, you realize we have a marriage. It's healthy. has a strong foundation. We're going through a moment of, of hiddenness, of katness, of a, of a distance. So how do you get it back? How do you break out? How do you break out? So I once saw a marriage therapist who said the following. Assuming it's appropriate halakhically and it's something that can be done, said, with the consent of the other person, in the middle of the fight, just give a hug to the other person. In the middle of the fight, right? The temperature's high, the decibel level's high, the emotions are running high, but just put your hand on the other person's hand. Just give a hug, and then you go back to the fight. <laughs> just touch their hand, then go back to the fight. Give a hug, and then go back to the fight. The advice was, what the hug or what touching the hand does is, it's an affirmation and it's a reminder that there's really a loving relationship, a connection, a shared history, a shared destiny, a shared soul. We'll figure this out, we'll work this out, we'll have this conversation, we'll reconcile this issue, but let's just remember that this fight can be an opportunity to actually figure something out. Gottman does say that every fight was a conversation that needed to happen that didn't happen. In every fight, there was a conversation that needed to happen that the fight happened instead. But if you can pivot the fight into the conversation, then the fight was a good thing. If there was a difference that had to be reconciled, if there were feelings that had to be dealt with, then the fight could be a good thing if it becomes a conversation instead of a fight. So it's a very interesting strategy that you interrupt the fight to have a hug. You interrupt the fight to touch a hand. And that energy that's exchanged and that affection deflects an enormous amount of what was driving that fight, enables a person to say, you know the five for five rule? I've shared it in Russia before. If it won't matter in five years, then don't spend more than five minutes on it. If it won't matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes. Spend five minutes. Something frustrated you or annoyed you about the shul, the school, the community, the airline, the department store, the traffic, your spouse, you could spend five minutes. But if it won't matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes. It's a philosophy and an approach to life. It's not my own, I forgot who said it. So what, what, the, what the affection does is it reconnects you and reminds you that the fight won't matter in five minutes. We'll figure it out, but the marriage is strong and there's affection underneath it. Why am I telling you this? Because it's a good strategy, first of all. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Sha'akol Ni'eb Devarah
But also, because I think we could do the same thing with Hashem. We could do the same thing with Hashem. We have a relationship with Hashem. We know He's a creator. We know He's our source. We know He's in charge of everything. We know He created the world. We know we're accountable to Him. We know He loves us. We love Him. We know all of that. Sometimes there's some tension. Sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we don't feel Him. Sometimes we feel He's hiding. Sometimes there's no affection. Sometimes we're in a period of katness, of smallness. Sometimes we're feeling brokenness. So you got to reach out and give Him a hug. Reach out and touch His hand. Interrupt that tension or that distance. Interrupt that brokenness with, oh yeah, you love me and I love you and we're connected and you are the source of everything in my life and, and I'm going to come out of this. Life is a cycle. There's highs and lows, there's ups and downs and I'm going to come out of this. So how do you reach out and touch Hashem? How do you give Him that hug? How do you hold that hand? How do you show that affection? How do you break out? I'm tempted to stop here because we're almost out of time but we'll do two more minutes. I don't want to leave you with a cliffhanger. You have to be willing to be Moser Nefesh. Relationship takes effort, sacrifice, compromise, courage. You have to find him from the brokenness and the smallness. You will search, you'll be a Mavakish a searcher and a seeker, and you'll look for him from that place. Uvikashtem from where? Misham. What's Sham? What's Sham? Uvikashtem Misham. Misham mimakam hayirida. Misham. In the descent, in the fall, in the dungeon, in the dark, damp, underground hole, from Sham, uvikashtem Misham, umatsasa. You'll find him. You'll find him. You'll seek him and you'll see him and you'll find him in that place. You break out by talking to him. You break out by looking for him. The fact that he feels far away and hidden is not an excuse to stop looking. It means you have to look harder. It means you have to search harder. It means you have to search harder. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true. Who's the owner of the Cowboys? I'm talking to the wrong crowd. <laughs> no offense. No offense to anyone here. Anyone want to impress me right now? The Dallas Cowboys? I forgot his name. Who owns the Dallas Cowboys? He made his money off of discovering oil. Texas. I, got, I heard this story. I don't know if it's true. So, um, so, how did he discover oil? So he didn't drill in places that hadn't been drilled. His secret strategy, his business approach, was companies that were digging for oil, and they dug and they didn't find oil, and they gave up and they moved on to a new location, he would buy the rights to dig in that place. That doesn't sound like a winning strategy to me. Companies who specialize, who dug and didn't find, why would you buy the rights, Davka, specifically to those places? And he dug and he found. And he said, because those companies, they had a certain formula. If they invest X amount of money, X amount of time, they dig X amount of depth and they don't find, they move on. He said, but I knew that there was a reason they chose that spot. And all I needed to do was do what? Dig a little deeper. And if you dig a little deeper, you walk away with tremendous wealth. In life, sometimes you just need to dig a little deeper. You have to be willing to dig a little deeper. So are we willing to dig a little deeper? If we want religion and spirituality to come to us, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard. I was interviewed for the Headlines podcast this week about tefillah and uh, I think the first question that was asked, 
you know, what could we be doing differently or better to get more connected to davening? And the first thing I said was taking achrayis, taking responsibility. You know, we come as spectators, as religious spectators to religion. I'm here in shul, wow me, turn me on, excite me, elevate me, inspire me, rabbi, chazan, choir, people sitting near me, come on. And then we leave and we say, you know, I wasn't inspired. Shul doesn't do it, this minion doesn't do it, this rabbi doesn't do it. Nothing does it. But what achrayis do we take? If we are committed and invested and we take responsibility for our own spirituality, you could be in the most uninspiring environment and you will be elevated. And if you, and if you are turned off and disconnected, you could be in the most inspiring environment and you'll feel nothing. So of course it all contributes. And we spend all of our life trying to make it an inspiring environment. But it begins with taking achrayis. Taking achrayis. You could hire the nutritionist and the exercise coach and the trainer and the... But if you don't take achrayis, it's not going to help. Taking responsibility. We have to be willing to dig deeper. We have to be seekers and searchers. We have to be on a mission that we're looking for God. Are we looking for Him? Are we talking to Him? Are we in conversation with Him? Do we feel Him? Sometimes He's readily right in front of our face. We don't have to look very far. Other times He's playing hide and seek. And those are the moments of truth. How much are we willing to look? But we don't take achrayis. I mean, this is a general problem and phenomena in the 21st century that everything comes to us so conveniently, comfortably, and smoothly, and easily. It's both disposable. I don't like my car, I get a new one. I upgrade my phone, I upgrade my technology. I Google and I get my answers. I don't like something, I turn it in, or I go to somewhere else or something else. People can change anything they want today. Even the world is telling them they can change their core identity in certain ways. Everyone just wants to be able to transfer and transform and change and get whatever they want easily. But you can't pay for spiritual surgery. Spiritually, it doesn't work that way. Spiritually, you can't pay to, to get, you know, um, whatever surgery to change your spiritual identity. I want to be an inspired person. Where can I pay someone? Where can I pay someone to change my spiritual identity, my spiritual orientation, so I can just be that person? You got to dig deeper. You got to take achrayis. We got to take ownership over it. L'chapes. Are we searching? Are we seeking? Are we looking? What are we doing? How are we invested? What are we willing to give up? How are we willing to inconvenience ourselves? How are we willing to leave our comfort zone if we believe it's worthwhile? If you believe it's not worthwhile and you don't believe it's expected of you, then don't do it. But if we believe it's worthwhile, if we believe it's meaningful and purposeful, if we believe it's what life is all about, if we believe it's what's good for our spiritual, emotional, physical health, good, you say that. So what are we willing to do for it? Do we want to want it or do we want it? Do we want it? What are we willing to put into it to get something out of davening, to have a relationship with the shepherd, to be in conversation with him? What are we willing to put in? Do we allocate the time, the energy, the resources, the attention, the focus? Or do we want it to come to us? We want to be passive spectators. Just wake up and all of a sudden we're plugged in and everything's amazing. It doesn't work that way. It takes work and it takes effort. You know what it's called? Avodas Hashem. What does the word avoda mean? Work. work. It's called avodas Hashem. The word avoda for a reason. No pain, no gain. It takes work. It's like I want to wake up at the gym. Like why aren't my muscles bigger? Why haven't I lost weight? Why isn't my heart healthier? You haven't touched a machine. You're sitting in the corner watching as a spectator. Everyone else work out. The trainer's barking orders at you. 
but you're sitting on a chair watching the workout. And you're wondering, why aren't I healthier? Why aren't I bigger and stronger and better? Hey, buddy. Hey, lady. Get on a treadmill. Touch a weight. Break a sweat. No pain, no gain. If you don't take a chrais, nothing's going to change. So do we lean in? Are we willing to lean in, to search and to seek, to mix it up? And I'll end by telling you, some of you were there. Thank you for coming. Some of you were there. I have no idea because it was pitch black. But last Thursday night, we met at the beach for us both of us at the beach. You talk about mixing it up. It was fantastic. One of you, I won't say who, I don't want to embarrass, said, changed your life. That's incredibly rewarding for me to hear. You walked away from that maybe first authentic conversation with Hashem in such a deep and profound way. One of you who spent several years, I won't say many, several years davening and learning and talking to Hashem said, it changed your life. One of you sitting here now said, it changed your life. It's unbelievable. Davening is not always from that same sitter. It's not always in that same seat in shul. It's not always in that same space in our home. Mix it up. Close the sitter. Just talk to him. We went to the beach last Thursday night. I thought it was going to be me, myself, and I. I thought it was going to be Hispodidus Mamish. But there were over 50 people who showed up. And we sat in a big circle in the sand, in a suit and tie, in the sand. I thought no one was going to show up. I was just going to turn around and go home. But in the sand, and we sang. And then we did some very cheesy breathing, deep breathing. We restored our neshama with some neshima. And then we listened to the waves and the chirps. And we tried to feel, but there was no breeze because it's Boca in August, September. And uh, then we learned a piece by Rab Nachman about his podedus, what it means to have a conversation with Hashem. And then we scattered along the beach and we sat there. And we just looked out into the endless ocean and listened and watched the waves crash at our feet and closed our eyes or left them open but had a conversation with Hashem. Out loud, talk to Him. What we object, what we protest, what we need, what we ask, what we're grateful for, what we thank Him for. It was amazing. It was amazing. I was done. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm good. And then I looked around and everyone was still there. So I was like, I, I, I can't leave yet. I suppose the leader. Like, okay, a couple more minutes of this. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. And I looked around and everyone was still there. <laughs> and it was just a beautiful sight to see. People spread out privately. And some leaning against poles saying they're Tehillim. And some finding their feet in the ocean. And some, and it was just amazing. Now, if we do that every single night, will it grow old and sale? Absolutely. Some people were like, let's do this once a month. Um, that might, even that might be too often. And we don't have to do it all together. The idea is to spoke to this. Separate, do it apart. We've got to have real conversations. We've got to search and seek. We've got to look for him. He's hiding. And he's inviting us. So the upshot is that even in those moments, sometimes we feel down and out in despair in the dark dungeon. Sometimes we feel we're in that hole underground. Build a foundation. While you're down there, build a foundation that you can build a huge spiritual skyscraper to sprout from the sky. Get off the chair in the corner of the spiritual gym and get on a machine. Get on a machine. Lift some weights, do some cardio. Put on the spiritual workout clothing that tells you, I'm going to break a sweat. I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to look, I'm going to search, I'm going to take a Christ responsibility for my own spirituality. I'm not going to wait to be inspired. I'm going to find it and seek it and search it. I'm going to, Jerry Jones, thank you, Bailey Smith, online. Jerry Jones owns the Dallas Cowboys. Dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. Thank you. Dig a little deeper because you'll strike spiritual oil if you dig a little bit deeper. Everyone else is going to give up at the surface. Everyone else only dug a little bit. Dig a little bit deeper. Dig a little, dig a little bit deeper. And in Mirza Shem, we should all be zocha 
to strike spiritual oil and wealth and riches, that we should spend more time in the period of godless than katnas, more time in the highs than the lows, and be able to uh, each and every day in our life. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Tonight is a very big milestone. I hope your calendars are all marked. I'm sure they are. Tonight's a huge celebration for the Jewish people. You know what tonight is in the calendar? Tonight is the 100th episode of Behind the Bima. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, we're going to celebrate tonight with the great Eitan Katz. By the way, this is, you talk about wanting to be inspired. We will talk to him about the soul of his songs and being connected. One of the questions I ask him is when he plays at a concert, at a simcha, is he just playing the music because he's hired to perform? Or does he really feel lamancha every time he plays it? Does he feel baruch elokeinu every time he plays it? How do you not make it be rote? How do you stay connected to the music? What is the role of music in stirring our soul? Talk about music. I don't know what Reb Nachman would say about listening to music while you sit alone on the beach trying to talk to Hashem, but music for me, sometimes music can move you to tears. Music makes you move your feet, clap your hands. Music changes a whole attitude and environment and energy. Music can wake up a sleeping soul. It's the power of music tonight. 9 p.m. behind the bima. You can share. We have an email and a phone number. But ah, I don't remember. I think behind the beam at gmail.com. If you have a favorite episode or a favorite guest or a favorite moment, we're going to share everybody's favorite moments tonight. So we'll read it with your name or without if you'd like to share it tonight behind the beam. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. You can go get your Amuna stuff in the lobby. Have a fantastic day, everyone.